Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Coming up on Primetime Politics, the battle for Alberta. I am running on my record. Miss Notley is running away from hers. You were found to have broken the law. The UCP leader Danielle Smith goes one-on-one with the NDP leader Rachel Notley. What was accomplished? Did either leader move the needle in what continues to be a close election? Also, Maxime Bernier is running in one of four by-elections called for June. Will his run force Conservatives to veer more right? And what of the other races? Could there be an unexpected surprise? And taking on the government's safe drug supply program, is it saving lives or just flooding the streets with cheap opioids? This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. With little more than a week left in Alberta's provincial campaign, the two main leaders went head-to-head last night, spending an hour exchanging verbal spars while trying to convince voters each was more trustworthy than the other. My commitment to each of you, if re-elected, is to serve you with everything I have and to the best of my ability, however imperfect that may be at times. I will continue to focus on growing and diversifying our amazing economy, making life more affordable and our communities safer, and improving health care for all Albertans. And I will carefully listen to you and my UCP caucus, because whatever I may have said or thought in the past while I was on talk radio, Albertans are my bosses now, and my oath is to serve you and no one else. You were found to have broken the law in order to interfere with the system of justice to assist with somebody who had been charged with attempting to get people to commit violence against police officers. We're going to let you so get a word in So you talk about here, instability. Smith. That does not engender trust. That, more than that, Ms. it Smith, engenders fear on the part of Albertans. So, in a race that's still considered close, how did each leader do? Was it enough to secure a path to victory? To talk about this, we're happy to have on the program Rick Bell, columnist with the Calgary Sun. Rick, nice seeing you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm on CPAC. This, <laughs> I'm in the big leagues now, so, you know. That is true. I am serious. No sarcasm intended. This oh. is for real. Well, I'm I've glad. I've been watching you guys forever. Well, I'm glad you're on. Listen, uh, I was watching the debate last night. It, it seemed like Danielle Smith was stronger in the first half. Rachel Notley uh, able to, to get her points in stronger in the second half. Uh, when you watched it, was there a clear winner for you? Well, Smith, I think, won by not losing. If everybody was being honest in Alberta, most people tuned in not for some profound policy discussion, but Danielle Smith, they were waiting to see if she stepped in it, if she slipped on the banana peel, if she did what I call a spacewalk, where she would start and come into some convoluted explanation in some other solar system. If she if she did a bozo eruption, which is basically saying something that could be clipped in a short clip and played again and again and again till election day, because those things have happened in the past, both with her and with her candidates. That didn't happen. She came across normal. She came across, you know, direct, answered the questions. 
and except for one question about trust. And therefore, I think she won. Also, because the polls almost universally indicate that in Calgary, where it is the battleground, Rachel Notley has to win big. And in most of the polls, it shows that she's not winning big in Calgary, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. So I think she had to really, really shine, and I don't think that happened. So the bar was much lower for Danielle Smith. Okay, but if the bar was higher for Rachel Notley then, she did push back, uh, bringing up uh, things like Danielle Smith's past comments about getting Albertans to pay more for their own health care, brings up the, the specter of uh, privatized health care, uh, the, the ethics commissioner report that came out uh, Thursday. If this vote comes down to leadership and, as you said, trust, did Notley do enough to at least sow doubt in Smith's capacity as a leader you could turn to? Well, this is going to be her strategy. She's going to spend the next week hammering away at the trust issue, that you cannot trust Danielle Smith. The reality is that Danielle Smith and the UCP have already suffered a lot of erosion and support. Remember four years ago, the UCP, one Conservative Party instead of two, won by 22 points, a landslide. That is not going to happen, almost certainly not going to happen on May 29th. So there already has been a lot of erosion in UCP support. But again, it is a steep climb for Rachel Notley because of the way the electoral map is. She's going to probably sweep Edmonton and she has to win a solid majority of the seats in Calgary. At present, she has three out of 26. She probably has to win 16 or more out of 26. So it's a pretty steep climb. So we'll see if hammering away at trust is the big issue. Most polls show that Daniel Smith is more uh, seen as the better choice for the economy, for public safety, for jobs, that sort of thing. Notly more popular for health care and you know, other issues like trust. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we'll see where that goes. I think a lot of the people that don't trust Daniel Smith have already left. Okay. But we'll see if there are more to come. There's still a group of conservatives who have not made up their mind. And they have to decide how badly do I feel about Daniel Smith compared to hanging on to a brand they have voted for in one form or another their whole life. Yeah, well, well, that's interesting because, because as, as you say, a lot of this boils down to conservatives who are not yet convinced about Danielle Smith in the greater Calgary area. Uh, but, uh, but how much of this goes down to ground game, though? Because you know, it's one thing to go to a pollster and say, this is the party, this is the person I, I support. But it's another thing to actually be motivated and cast a ballot for someone who you are lukewarm about. Exactly. The ground game is going to be very, very important and turnout for younger voters. Younger voters are decisively, according to the polls, in the NDP camp. So if those younger voters, 35 and under, really come out, really are serious, really rally for Notley, that's going to give, you know, some, uh, you know, strong, strong support, strong backing, strong numbers for the NDP. Uh, Older voters tend to favor the UCP, and older voters, as you know, in Alberta and elsewhere, have tended historically to have higher turnouts. We'll see if that happens this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you know, but, I mean, I think a lot of pe- I think a lot of people in the rest of Canada are a bit puzzled how Danielle Smith can even be 
in the running or even, according to most polls, slightly leading in Calgary when so much has happened during the campaign and in the past. Yep. Comments she's made and other people have made, other of her candidates. So, so, so how, how do you explain that then, Rick? Like, I mean, if that's the question people have outside of the province, how do you explain that? Two things. One, the conservative brand, not conservative philosophy, not conservative ideology, but the conservative brand is very strong in a lot of Alberta, including many areas within Calgary. So there's a strong conservative brand strength. The second thing is you can entertain the following th two thoughts in your mind at the same time. You can say, I don't like what this wonky doodle candidate said in such and such a writing, or I don't like what Danielle said two years ago about this, or 18 months ago about not wearing a poppy. I can really, that could make me cringe, but people could still hold their nose and vote for the UCP because they think the UCP will be better for them personally. So they, the, the, the two things are not necessarily contradictory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we'll see where that goes. For instance, you know, this ethics report where she was found guilty of, you know, conflict of interest uh, by uh, going to her justice minister on behalf of a person facing criminal charges uh, re regarding the Coots border blockade. You can say, Danielle Smith, that was really, really stupid. Really stupid. Mm -hmm. And still somehow rationalize in your mind, some voters could rationalize and say, but I still want to vote UCP because they're giving me a tax cut. Or I want to vote UCP because they're they're doing this, that, and the next thing. They're going to stand yeah. up to Ottawa, or I just don't like the NDP or whatever. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it doesn't necessarily follow that because you don't like some of the things that you know that she has done or candidates have done you're necessarily not going to vote for the ucp okay. and again remember we've got a lot of time coming so the same people who are watching that debate saying there might be a bozo eruption are really really hoping there will be one sometime between now and may 29. well we are watching rick we're on our way to calgary next week to, to start speaking oh. to people including you so uh we'll be knocking Whoa. on your door uh, rick i gotta go yeah, but thank you so much for that anytime Anytime. Take care. Rick Bell. The Green Party's deputy leader will try to win a seat in the House of Commons. Four by-elections have been announced for June 19th, and we know that Maxime Bernier, the People's Party leader, will run in Portage Lisgur. The Greens' Jonathan Pedneau says he will run in Notre-Dame-de-Grâce, Westmount. Well, to talk about the by-elections, we're now joined by Carlene Varian. She is Associate Vice President at Summa Strategies. Gary Keller is Vice President at Strategy Corps in Ottawa. And Kim Wright is Principal at Wright Strategies. Hello to the three of you. Hello. Great to be with you. Now, listen, these four seats are considered safe seats by their respective parties. And I definitely want to talk about both Jonathan Pedneau and Maxime Bernier in a bit. But let's talk about by-elections writ, writ large. How important are these by-elections for the parties to, to at least test out their campaign machinery? Uh, Carlene, I'll get you to start us out since we know the Prime Minister will be asking Canadians for a fourth mandate. Well, we certainly got confirmation of that at the Liberal Party's biennial convention a couple of weekends ago where the Prime Minister gave uh, a speech that said in no uncertain terms, uh, I'm staying, I'm going to take on Pierre Polyev. Um, 
By-elections are a useful tool for parties in, in both situations where the outcome is relatively known as well as um, by-elections that are tight races. And we do see those from time to time. As you mentioned, Michael, the four coming up are not necessarily that. I think they will be most valuable for the Conservative Party in terms of field operations, communications, their GOTV strategy, uh, because they're the party that have had the most recent significant turnover of senior staff and infrastructure. I think you can expect to see the Liberals and the NDP use their standard playbook that they've been applying in the last number of elections. Um, and, uh, and so it will be most most interesting to watch what the Conservatives do. We got a little bit of a taste of that um, in the Mississauga by-election just before Christmas. Um, and uh, in that one, we didn't see the new leader, Pierre Poliev, have much of a role at all. So I think what we'll be watching for in these four by-elections is whether he makes stops in those ridings or not. Okay, then Gary, let me bring you in because, you know, as Carlene says, the last by-election was the riding of Mississauga Lakeshore. Uh, that was last December. Conservatives came a distant second. So how important are these by-elections for Pierre Poliev? Well, it's a good question because the four by-elections in and of themselves, to Carlene's point, they really aren't in question. They're all four very safe liberal seats, or sorry, very safe seats, uh, one liberal uh, and uh, two liberal acting, two conservative. Uh, and so for the for the two safe conservative seats, you know, they already have strong infrastructure in the ground on place there, good local teams in place. Um, but, you know, to Carlene's point as well, there's been a lot of turnover at national office. And uh, really that, uh, that Lakeshore by-election really wasn't uh, a great test because Pierre Collier had only been leader for a short period of time. The infrastructure, you know, they, they hadn't really started to uh, fix that infrastructure. Now they've had a new executive director in place, some new people on the party side. And it's a, it's a good testing ground to test some messaging and to test some party machinery. Uh, but make no mistake, all of these uh, seats uh, that the by-election would call them are safe seats. So uh, great for fine-tuning, but probably not more than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kim, what, what would you say about these by-elections and how they, they fare or how important they are for the parties? Well, I would disagree with my colleagues here to say that this is not going to be a sleepy campaign. Maxime Bernier running in, in Portage Lisker uh, has already laid down the gauntlet calling Pierre Polyev's conservatives fake conservatives and that you can uh, you know, elect somebody where it doesn't really matter because they're not going to be part of the government. And and so he's actually trying to rile up his PPC base, which can be when, when uh, weaponized, I suppose, for lack of a better word, uh, quite interesting. In the conservative side, the candidate there, his name is uh, Brandon, uh, he actually has used a bit of a U.S. Uh, slang. I, you know, his, uh, his social media post was, let's go, Brandon. And so, which is a bit of a, I, I don't know how politely I can say F you Biden uh, is the way that they kind of frame it in the US. So is this a whisper campaign? Is this dog whistle politics as usual? So that's going to be fascinating. How, who's going to out conservative and out real quote unquote conservative. Then you also had Pierre Polyev going into Oxford uh, last week and uh, doing his now infamously mocked uh, mud on his boots uh, in Pearson Airport uh, uh, video, where he said phrases like, I was out with the common people at their festivals. 
which doesn't really exactly scream man of the people out meeting folks. So uh, I think that there was a reason that Pierre Polyev stayed out of Mississauga Lakeshore last time. And that's frankly, once they started seeing the numbers of how Pierre Polyev uh, engaged or didn't uh, with voters in a meaningful way, uh, it, it impacted his polling. What we'll always see on by-elections, and Elizabeth May is, the, is always the standard, can you start to gain traction, uh, as Elizabeth May did coming in second in the 06 London by-election that some viewers might remember. That was her uh, coming out party, for lack of a better word. So this is an opportunity to test messaging in multiple provinces, machinery in multiple provinces, and work the kinks out. But I suspect all of these campaigns are looking to get a lot more headlines. Okay, listen, I got to barrel through a few questions here because I do want to touch on a few points. But Gary, pick up on that because you, you, you know when t Kim is right, Maxime Bernier has called Poliev a fake conservative. What kind of impact will the People's Party leader actually have on Poliev's uh, right flank? Well, look, Max Bernier is desperate for attention, desperate for votes. He's quickly becoming the John C. Turmel of Canadian politics. That's a guy who's running like 58 straight elections in Canada and lost them all. And I suspect Max is going to do the same in, in Portage Lisgar. I mean, for goodness sakes, he couldn't even pronounce the name of the riding correctly when he was uh, doing his campaign launch. But there's a reason why he chose that riding to run in and not any of the other ridings to run in. And that's because in the general election in 2021, the People's Party struck 20% in that riding, not with Max Bernier, but with another local candidate. And I think that was a bit of a different moment in time. Clearly, there was a lot of frustration in that sort of rural Manitoba, uh, strongly socially conservative uh, riding of people that were fed up around COVID mandates. Uh, there was a lot of issues raised with uh, the shutting down of church services in churches. And in the cons recent Conservative nomination, you can't ignore the fact that Brandon Leslie, the Conservative candidate, defeated the sitting finance minister of the government of Manitoba, a Conservative, Cameron Friesen. Can't ignore that. And there's a reason why that happened, because he directly tied Mr. Friesen's record as part of the PC government of Manitoba with COVID lockdowns, the lockdown of churches, the lockdown of small businesses to say, that's your record. I'm not that kind of conservative. And so it's hard for Maxine Bernier to go in and say, well, you know, fake conservative when you have a guy who has good traction on the ground, has clearly shown that he's not afraid of taking on a big name. Um, and so I think Max is going to be a lot of bluster in this campaign, but not much more than that. I'd be surprised if he got double digits in this campaign. Okay, Carlene, uh, do you think Maxime Bernier stands a chance in the riding? Not at all. Um, to be blunt, uh, for all the reasons Gary stated, he's going to have a real challenge. But you add to that, um, this is a this is a guy from to be really blunt. This is a guy from Quebec with a relatively thick French accent that's coming into a rural prairie riding and expecting to um, connect with people. Um, I'm just not sure that that's a match that's going to have a lot of success. Um, and uh, yes, opposition to pandemic measures is a real thing in this riding, but uh, I, that has not been an issue that has as much. Uh, relevance or um, uh, or interested by voters uh, the, the way that it did in 2021. Um, so uh, no, I don't see that being uh, a real force in this campaign at all. I, it will provide a little bit of distraction for the Conservative Party of Canada's campaign and that they'll have to be looking over their shoulder and paying attention to what he's doing. But do I think that they really have to worry about their hold on this writing? Absolutely not.
Okay. Uh, you know, that leaves Jonathan Pedno, and I'm really losing a, a time here quickly, so I apologize. But, uh, Kim, I'll leave this one to you because, as I said, Pedno is running in the riding once held by Mark Garneau. Any thoughts on that strategy or what the Greens have at stake with this by-election? Well, they have all sorts of things at stake, and including, you know, who will you know, be on that leader's debate stage come the general election. Uh, will Elizabeth May do it or someone else? Uh, will she let go of those reins long enough? So it'll be interesting to see. I'm actually really excited. The New Democrats actually have a contested nomination. They're nominating their candidate tomorrow evening and uh, can't wait to can't, can't wait to see that. You know, we, we want to see on the campaign trail how these various parties are resonating on the ground. How is their local machinery and how, you know, can they can they pull through? in Quebec versus uh, versus Manitoba because you have to win a nationwide mandate. So that's kinds of things I'll be looking for at this point. Okay, well, uh, we have about a month to the actual by-election date itself. But for now, Carlene, Gary, Kim, thank you for that. Really appreciate the insight tonight. Thank you. Great to be with you. The government's safe supply drug program came under close scrutiny this week as members of the House debated a conservative motion to shut it down and redirect the money to recovery. Now, the Liberals say the program does save lives and helps users get healthier, but conservatives argue the numbers say otherwise and the program is just flooding the streets with cheap drugs. The minister is quite right when she heckles out that these people have died. They have died under her watch. They have died under this prime minister as he has flooded the streets with powerful heroin-like drugs that are paid for by tax dollars and have funded a black market for fentanyl and killed so many people. Well, joining us now is Dr. Carolyn Bennett, the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Minister, thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you. Uh, you know this. Uh, Pierre Poliev uh, says that you and your government are essentially perpetuating uh, a crisis here by subsidizing these drugs and giving users access to them. How do you respond to that? Well, I think it, it, the evidence doesn't show that at all. Uh, he has some anecdotal um, stories uh, that is making actually the, the safe supply community pretty annoyed, as we saw in the London Free Press today. It is about uh, doing what works. This is a very different situation than it was even in 2019. The drug supply out there is poisoned and people are dying using. And so we, it's about replacing as uh, uh, this poisoned drug supply uh, with a pharmaceutical grade medicine um, so that they can stabilize and so they can think about uh, life uh, differently from the, the hustle and, and it, you know, I, I was thinking, Michael, that 40 years ago people fought against methadone. 20 years ago people fought against Suboxone. More recently there's the, the, you know, the possibility of sublocate. But this is about keeping people alive long enough because people are dying. And, and the people that are in the safe supply programs are people who are losing their friends. And they've decided to try something new, to step inside to a, to a health setting where somebody knows their name, somebody cares about them, somebody really cares that they don't die, and, and are prepared to offer them um, the kinds of supports they need. 46,000 
overdoses have been reversed in safe consumption sites. That also gives somebody using drugs the opportunity to develop a trusting relationship such that they can actually get the hope that allows them to make real choices in their life going forward. Oh, so. Okay. Well, let me let me ask you to do a compare and contrast here, because, you know, the, the argument uh, that uh, Pierre Polyev is making is that he would like your government to essentially take the money that's being invested into this safe uh, drug supply, reinvest that money instead into treatment and social programs. He calls that common sense. How do you compare and contrast what your program does versus what he uh, says should be the priority here? Well, I think that we lived for 10 years with the Conservative government taking harm reduction out of the internationally accepted drug policy, which is prevention, um, harm reduction, treatment and enforcement. So what we now know is that the people on the ground, the people with lived and living experience are furious that this this debate is even continuing to polarize harm reduction versus treatment. Everybody knows we need both. We need treatment and we need um, aftercare and we need social supports and housing and all of the things that help with the, the complex conditions where people with severe mental illness who are using substances need to stay on their medicine for their mental illness as well as get supports for their substance use. This is so um, stigmatizing. Uh, for this debate to continue as though it's either or. That people need, with the opioid use disorder, need treatment like any other medical condition. And it means compassion, it means somebody who cares about them, and somebody who will follow the evidence to get them the best care possible. Okay, I'm going to ask you another ish, uh, point that Pierre Polyev makes, because he argues that the safe drug supply uh, that, again, is subsidized is actually being resold so that users can use that money to buy the drugs they actually want, things like uh, the drugs that are laced with fentanyl. What do you say to that? Because it's actually not just Pierre Polyev, but that's also been uh, reported by other media. Diversion is, is an issue, there's no question, but it, diversion is an issue with prescribed medicine from the doctors and from the pharmacy, that this is about a problem, but selling drugs is illegal. Diversion is illegal. That, that, that is something that has to be dealt with differently than how we get people to, to be able to stay alive long enough to be able to get comprehensive care. So it's a matter of, of uh, that, and I think in the, the piece today with uh, Dr. Sereda, I mean, to be selling what they are saying as very cheap drugs in order to buy drugs that are more expensive, there, there's not a lot of evidence for that. But there is evidence of diversion, and we will address that uh, with enforcement. But that doesn't mean that you can't give people compassionate care and get them the kind of treatment they need in order to be able to stabilize and get on to, to a, a, a better life. So it, it's, it, it's actually quite heartless. And what the parts of the debate today were so infuriating in terms of this stigma, how this is stigmatizing people that use drugs. We're supposed to be lowering the barriers so that they can see their path to, to being able to to step inside and, and go to a safe consumption site, go to, to a safe supply. And that, that the, I, you know, I keep asking, you know, if safe consumption has re reversed 46 
1,000 overdoses since 2017. What do you say to those people that wouldn't be alive today, like Guy Fischella and the people who, who have overdosed a number of times and now on a, are on a good path? So, so, so yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but how do you square that then with the number that uh, the Conservative leader was quoting in the House, this idea that the number of opioid deaths have actually gone numerically up year after year? Well, it, it, to be fair, Michael, it went down a tiny bit in, in 2019. And then we had COVID and all of that where harm reduction was more difficult to, to access. But mainly, that is when this poison drug supply came in. That It used to be that people would use drugs for a long time and, and die of something else. Now this drug supply is so poisoned that you have people who've fallen off a roof and are on medicine and, and they get cut off their meds and they go to the street for their drugs and they are dying. And so that, this is, you know, I think the stigmatization and, and just the lack of compassion about people using drugs. And when you look at Mom Stop the Harm or the people who are, are really proposing the kinds of changes in policy that, that we and, uh, and so many as so many governments across the country are trying to do is actually evidence-based. And, and I don't think that I'll take the articles in the CMAJ to, to help me decide what to do, not an article in the National Post. Which I, which I understand, I'm quickly losing time, by, but I do want to ask you, given the fact that this was debated in the House today for quite some time, I'm wondering if there's any point that was raised whatsoever by any opposition member, conservative or otherwise, that you perhaps will consider, perhaps reevaluate about the program and how it's delivered? I just hope that the, that the leader of the opposition will meet uh, with, with the, the mom stop the harm when they're here on the Hill on June 1st. I think they need to read what Ben Perrin is writing and, 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 and saying in terms of this failed conservative ideology. He was the public safety advisor to Stephen Harper, that people are changing their minds in, in, a, in a good way in terms of stopping the stigma and, and following the evidence and, and dealing um, with people using drugs with compassion and trying to keep them alive. Minister Bennett, really appreciate the time this evening. Thank you for that. Thank you. And that is our program for this evening. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Have a great long weekend, and we'll see you again next time.